Hello, this is Anne, the Multimedia Director of Kearney First United Methodist Church, and you're listening to our Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and uplifted as you listen to this sermon. Thank you for turning in. Let us pray. God, you speak to us as we read Scripture. Send your Holy Spirit to open our ears, hearts, and minds so that we may hear your message for us today. Amen. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. So we've just finished our series on Ephesians. Uh, there is still a Monday group that's meeting that uh, is meeting at six o'clock. That's doing a Bible study that continues with maybe Ephesians, but also dealing with the texts and the images that we have in this series. This series can, uh, is uh, exploring the life of faith in, in a kind from a different angle, uh, because we recognize that Hebrews 11 says that faith is a certainty about that which is not seen. Sometimes we need to see things. We're visual, some of us. And so we're exploring uh, what faith and life of faith looks like, uh, particularly through uh, some pieces of art. So we'll hold together in conversation pieces of art, scripture, our experience, tradition, and reason. So that's our journey for this week and the next three weeks after that. And then we'll begin this season of Advent uh, with an exploration of a, gro- a character whose heart grew three sizes. You might know who that is. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, breathe in me and breathe in us that as we ponder together, your word and your activity in our lives that we would come to know and love and follow you more. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. A few years ago, I don't remember exactly when this happened, but I do distinctly remember it. Uh, We were sitting down at the table for an evening meal, a rushed and hurried meal, trying to get from this thing to that thing to the next thing, uh, as sometimes happens. Uh, And we heard the doorbell ring. And Every time the doorbell rings, my mild-mannered, kind, gentle dog becomes a ferocious junkyard dog, barking and barking and barking. Oh, so annoying. So I quickly go and I see through the kitchen window that there are adults that I don't know just standing on my sidewalk. And I'm thinking, oh no, what did I do now? And then I look at the porch and there are these Strange creatures on my front porch. There's a a monster and a zombie and a princess and a superhero. And I was scared. I mean, I wasn't scared because there were kids dressed up in costumes on my porch. I was was scared because there were kids dressed up in costumes on my porch expecting that I would have candy to give them. And my kids hadn't gone trick-or-treating yet, so we had no candy for me to take from them to give to others. But we had gone to the church's trick or, uh, trunk or treat. So I, I quick and took their candy and gave it to the others and said, trick, oh, it's so, so scary zombie. Ooh, wonderful princess. Ooh, thank you for being a strong superhero for me. Uh, and then I wished them a good night. 
And I shut the door, and I shut off the porch light, and I shut off the hallway light, and I shut off the kitchen light, and I shut off the other kitchen light, and I went into the dining room. I said, hey, just remember, we are never going to get to go treating, if, uh, and we have no candy except your candy if other people come to our house. We have to keep the lights off and get moving here. Because, and then we went outside, and we had to repeat that the universal sign for no candy here is like YJ and Sung Lee's house. All the lights off. All the lights off. I don't have candy. No candy either. So when we look at Vincent van Gogh's Starry Night, and when we hear Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and when we think about our lives, one of the important questions could be, where are the lights? Now, Vincent van Gogh remembers a 19th century artist, uh, and uh, he uh, was never famous in his own lifetime. Uh, that was due to other things, but uh, he was a painter and uh, fairly prolific. But uh, when we think about art, I am not an art historian. I'm not an art critic. Uh, some of you may be experienced in this. I just look at it, and I ask questions about it. Uh, and so maybe we look at art and we say, huh, I wonder what that means. Maybe we look at art and we say, well, how do all the colors work together and the spaces? Maybe we also, if we know who painted it, uh, then we ask, well, I wonder what about that person's life might be involved in helping us to understand this piece of art. Uh, and we could, it's it's a mystery to be able to do that well, and a skill and a process, and we could come to some different interpretations, uh, and yet they all might help us to know and feel something more. And this is really the process for how we engage with any form of art, whether it's organ music or uh, choral music or film or literature or poetry. And this is really the process through which we engage with Scripture as well. So let's do that with Vincent van Gogh's A Starry Night. See, as you begin looking at it, at least for me, I see the distinctness of the colors, and I get to be the one talking, so that's the process. Follow along with me. Uh, but look at the bottom left, and you see this dark, tall thing. And that is uh, a tree, most likely, a cypress tree, more specifically. Uh, those are tall and slender trees, but they usually don't look like this. So what's happening might be turbulence and wind, or a really lax gardener. And there's darkness there. And then as you move across around from the there through the bottom toward the right and then up, you see this darkness of these hills and the darkness on the hills below. And then up on the top right corner, you see this bright orange and yellow moon. And then swing back around, you see these swirls of blues and whites and yellows. And then you see a, a very light star near the horizon and other bright stars are filling up the space. There's a lot of movement in this piece, and uh, people have studied this piece on a, a tiny, tiny micro level and found that the brushstrokes, in fact, do things that people who study physics say this tricks our eyes into making it look like it's moving. 
So there's uh, this great amount of movement and diversity of color, this uh, blending and moving from darkness to light, and in between uh, there's this bright blue, which doesn't seem like a night sky exactly, but it is this swirling of all these colors. And when we think about Van Gogh, there are many things that we may know about him. We can read any website. This painting exists at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, and so they have some pieces uh, written about it on their website. But anything that we read about Vincent Van Gogh would probably also try and tell us about his, his life journey and how we can see some of his life in the midst of his paintings. Uh, Vincent van Gogh uh, likely painted this piece as well as some others while living in a, a mental institution in the southern south part of France. Uh, that was a place where he had two rooms, uh, one for painting, one for staying, and the, win- the, the windows had bars. So it's not likely that he would have sat at his window and painted all these things while in the dark in his room. Instead, This is not a landscape we see from his windows, but one that only exists in his mind and in his canvas before us. But he was one who struggled throughout much of his short life. He struggled with... uh, mental illness and uh, also some physical illness. He he struggled with relationship and he struggled in uh, a sense of identity and purpose. He began his professional life trying to be uh, a pastor in the Dutch Reformed tradition. Uh, Remember, he's he's Dutch. Uh, And this followed in his grandfather's footsteps. But soon that didn't work out because he discovered that the things that he was passionate about, helping the church to be like Jesus in feeding people or nurturing people or caring for people who were struggling, wasn't something that the church that he was serving was interested in. And then he tried to become an art dealer This also was unsuccessful. And then he decides he's going to be a painter. Uh, So much to the chagrin of his family and his beloved brother Theo, uh, they all said, are you sure? It doesn't seem like you're very good. Uh, You know, then Theo would even write to him and say, could you paint more like these other artists that you know? Like, could you paint stuff that people can actually recognize? Because uh, this, this, this is not very good. And... So he only sold one or maybe two pieces uh, in his lifetime. Now he struggled. Struggled with rejection, struggled with identity, struggled with a sense of purpose and meaning, and a sense of physical and emotional and spiritual health. And if that's his life, then perhaps we can read a little bit into this and see that there's a lot of darkness and light and in between swirling around in his life and in the painting. And then perhaps we can see our own lives in the midst of his life and the swirls between the darkness and the light and the shadows and the bright shining and find that we exist there too. 
We don't exist as only one thing, but we have all of these experiences, sometimes all at once. Uh, And so they swirl together, and it's in the togetherness of our lives that we too live. Jesus, too, is an artist of sorts, uh, especially in Matthew and the Gospel. Uh, chapter 5, he begins by saying, this is what the kingdom of, li- of God is like, and he's, uh, this becomes his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but he paints a picture not with canvas and paints and tools, but with words, in which the first that he says are, blessed are you who... hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Because you will be made full. You will inherit the kingdom of God. You will be comforted. And that had to sound a little strange for those people on the Sermon Mount. Because they had lived that swirling, mixed up, broken, normal life. And they'd lived in the midst of life in which uh, they understood that to be blessed by God must mean that everything was going well, and also that when we were well, when things were going right, that must be a sign that God loves us. And so when things were not going well, then it must mean that we've messed up and God doesn't love us. But Jesus comes into the midst of this and says, this life you live, the one that's filled with both wonderful and awful, the one, the life that is experienced, in which you're experiencing hunger and which you're being run over by others, in which you're mourning and grieving, you are blessed. It's as though saying, hey, everyone else has said that you have to get your life right first in order for God to love you, but here I say, You are seen and loved by God. He's painting a picture that doesn't yet exist and trying to draw them into this picture of reality so that they can start to live into it by His Spirit and by His presence. And he continues, You are the light of the world. Now he doesn't say, Hey, when you get your life together, then you'll be the light of the world. And he doesn't say, hey, you could be the light of the world if you would just, like, work harder. And he doesn't say, go search and find your quest so that you can find the light and then you can be the light of the world. He just flat out says, you, normal, everyday folk whose lives are a little bit mixed up in all of the above, you're the light of the world. Go and shine that light. Be as a candle put on a stand, a lamp put on a stand that shines brightly through the whole household. Jesus fills us with God's light and proclaims that in his presence we are filled. We are made light. That's not in question. But Jesus does challenge us How do we let it shine, let it shine, let it shine? Now, 
there's no letter that I'm aware of, and I'm, again, not a Van Gogh scholar, but there's no letter in which Van Gogh says, I will paint the starry night to reflect the image of God's kingdom, uh, saying that we are light. I, I, I don't know that it exists. But I do hear the echoes. Do you? Where is the light? And one of the things about this painting uh, is that uh, near the bottom, there's this city or this village, this small place, but every one of the houses, and if you go online, you can see the fuller version. We had to cut off just a little bit to be able to make it fit on the screen. But the village, all the houses have lights in the windows. The only building that doesn't have lights in the windows is the building with a steeple that seems like a church. And perhaps we could make something of this, and other folks have this question of what does it mean that Van Gogh's church has no lights? But what if we give him a little bit of slack, particularly just because we're being generous and because today is All Saints Day, uh, and say, well, maybe it makes sense that there are no lights in the church building in the starry night because everybody's at home. There's nobody at church, and that's okay. So what if instead we understood that the, the church had done its job and that they had shown light in the appropriate times and places and then that the people had taken that light and gone to their homes where they shined light? Because after all, the, the painting is filled with light. Even as Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the houses with lights, too. And so do we. All Saints Day is this day in which we remember the people that have died in our lives, either those who have died recently or uh, at any other point in our lives. And we remember giving thanks to God for them and their witness. And we remember so that we can be inspired to be, be something more, to shine our light like those that we remember and love and have lost. And so All Saints Day becomes a day of recognizing ways in which God, Jesus has filled others with the light of God and it has shone brightly. For which we give thanks. Jesus has filled us with the light of God like Jay, who uh, walked uh, at the mall and in the grocery store for his exercise and his shopping and always made sure to smile and engage with young people and carry candy that he could give out to others just to be a blessing. Not in the creepy way, just in the blessing way. Uh, Jesus fills us with God's light like Vernon, who always sought to create a sense of home wherever they were uh, and make that home a place of welcome and nurture for others. Jesus fills us with God's light like Marion and Lois, who were renowned for their pie-making skills but made a special effort to make the weird ones. You know, like sour cream and raisin. 
not a fan of that one. And they don't come just, like, you can't find those just everywhere. And so they would make them because there were people in their families that loved that pie. And so they went out of their way to make it. Jesus shines God's light. Like in John or in Chris. In the ways that they were known for being willing to drop everything to help others, to go the second mile, to show up and to just be present in the everydayness of life. Jesus shines God's light in, in us so that we can let it shine. Now, the funny thing, All Saints Day always reminds us of the services of death and resurrection that we've had throughout the year. Uh, and so when I sit down with families, really never has a family says, the thing that's most important about this person is how much she worked or how hard she uh, did her job or how much uh, he sacrificed time with us so that he could do this other thing. Or, uh, I just knew that he loved us because his bank account was really great and his stock portfolio was outstanding. No one has said that. Instead, we've seen the light of Christ in the midst of others when they give of themselves, when they show love and kindness, when they don't try to make themselves great, but instead seek to give away their light and find that they can never give their light away. It just keeps growing. Jesus fills us with God's light so that we can let it shine. So when we ask where the lights are, we know that they're not in Sungley's house uh, on Halloween, or in my house on Halloween. And they're not in the church, but maybe in all those cases, it's because we've left that space and gone into different spaces, into the streets and into our lives, and into our workplaces, into uh, all of our relationships, carrying that light which is Christ in us, and we've let it shine with love and grace and kindness. May we let Christ's light shine. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have found the topics mentioned today to be thought-provoking and meaningful. For more information about our church, ministries, and upcoming events, check out our website at carneyfirstumc.org. If you'd like to join us on Sunday in person or on live stream, our traditional services are at 8.15 and 11 a.m. and our modern service is at 9.30 a.m. We look forward to seeing you next week. And until then, go in peace and may God bless you.